Hey everyone, you are listening to Que Sera Sera with me, Sarah Ann Lalonde. I am a brand new teacher sharing my journey into education with the world, all while promoting risk-taking in the classroom and in your professional life. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode 51 with Peter LeBlanc, serving our students. All right, good morning and welcome to episode 51 of Kesara Sara. I have a very special guest, someone you may know. He is all over the Twitter, Twitter sphere. Um, he goes by the name of Peter LeBlanc. And um, as you might have seen in the title of this podcast already, if you're listening to us, um, and if you don't know who Peter is, he is a TEDx speaker, a French as a second language lead principal, and in 2015, he even received one of the 40 recipients of Canada's Outstanding Principal Awards. So I am really grateful to be able to speak with him this morning. He is joining me all the way from Orangeville, Ontario, where he had to explain me where that was. So good morning, Peter. How's it going? Good. How are you? (laughs) Really good. Excellent. Um, Do you want to start? Have you gone to look on a map now just to get a sense as to where Orangeville is? I did go on Google Maps. How did you know? (laughs) Yes, I just, I had to. I'm very visual. So I was like, okay, where are the cities around? Have I been through it before? No, I never. Sorry. But sounds like a lovely place. It's a lovely place. You'll have to come and visit. Sounds good. So do you want to start by telling me a little bit about your background in education, maybe where you started in teacher's college, and sure. how did you end up where you are now? Um, sure. It, the abridged yes. version, though, because I was, <laughs> only because I always find, um, you know, and I'll, I'll give a couple of caveats beforehand, my brain doesn't work in a linear fashion, mm-hmm. so my conversation awfully, uh, often spirals. My career kind of did the same thing. So I actually didn't Hmm. start out in teaching. I got to teaching a little later. So I think I was 27 when I started. I was actually a cab driving musician and put myself through university that way. Um, So I never went to university full time until I went to the Faculty of Ed in Windsor. Um, Okay. So I started teaching in 93. And so the abridged version, I've taught for two different (laughs) boards. So I um, I spent 11... 11 years teaching for the Dufferin Peel Catholic District School Board, and I did core French there. I did extended French. I shifted over to teach regular track English. And then my last job there was a self-contained behavior class, what we had called the sensitivity classroom. So it was for students that were really struggling inside of a regular classroom or who were transitioning um, either from care or from, uh, from a section classroom back into the regular class. So it was to try and help support them and give them some of the the skills that they might need to be successful in in a classroom. Uh, And then I took a massive risk. Um, I took my principal part two course in 2002 or three, and I met someone who would then kind of become a late career mentor, Joe Atherton, who was a principal with the Upper Grand District School Board. And I really wanted to work for this system. I loved what he had to say, and there were some kind of personal things going on. I was looking for a change in career, and I basically, I don't want to say I jumped ship because that makes it sound like, you know, I did a bad thing. But after 11 years in one board, I jumped to another for a half-time LTO, half-time contract job. Okay. Um, Partway through the year. Uh, So I landed at Montgomery Village Public School, 2003. I taught there for eight months, and then I was successful in my bid for leadership. I became the vice principal there. Was there for two years, then kind of moved around, um, did another VP ship. I've been the principal of two different schools, one for five years, one for four. Uh, Both, one, I I kind of uh, helped transition French immersion into the school. My second school was a dual track FI school. Uh, And then I, I went into a system principal's role where I've been for the last couple of years as the French second language lead, which I always tell people sounds an awful lot more program oriented and important <laughs> than it actually is. And then I'm really actually thrilled to go back into a school in September uh, because I'm going back to Montgomery Village where I started my career in Upper Grand as principal. So, um, wow. you know, yeah, that's that's a good story. And funny enough, that's the abridged version. Right. So (laughs) it's, I think, two different boards, nine different schools, um, system level job. I've done, yeah, core French, French immersion, extended French, regular tracks, spec ed, VPP, system principal. Hmm. 
Um, and, and I didn't mention the uh, thank you for mentioning the TEDx talk. That was if we get a chance to talk about you know what it's like to jump into an yes. area that you know you're you know I know you're familiar with the term into an area <laughs> that you know is really really outside of your comfort zone. That would be one. And yeah, the award in 2015 that was about the most. I mean, it was an awesome experience, but it was about the most humbling professional experience I think I've ever mm. had because you're getting individual recognition for work that really never happens on an individual basis, right? All right. So I love the idea that you just used the word jump because I feel like I've just, I, I've branded myself thanks to the Ontario Summit as, as the girl who likes to jump and do crazy things sometimes, like starting this podcast. Um, so I just want to dive into that really quickly before we like move on to all the other fun things I want to talk about, but you've opened the door to jumping, so I can't resist Excellent. Um, to ask you about this TEDx talk that was called um, Education, Moving at the Speed of kind of dot, 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 where you yep. kind of, well, you talk about how the role of the teacher hasn't necessarily changed and all that fun stuff. Yeah. It so, is... pardon? No, no, go ahead. You you sound like you were going to ask me a question. So. Well, yeah, exactly. So this TEDx talk, where did you, was it in Kitchener, I believe? It was. So it was part of the Kitchener TEDx. Um, okay. And... So what made you take this crazy jump? That's yeah, kind of right. the question. Okay. Like what goes through your mind? Cause I blogged about all the ins and outs and roller coaster experience that I lived when doing just in ignite was, which was only five minutes, but a TEDx talk is a way bigger deal. And I think it was like close to 15 minutes. Your talk. Yeah. It, it had come like just shy of 14 minutes. So, okay. And what makes it, you it, say yes to this passion? Uh, stupidity. <laughs> You've heard it here, <laughs> folks. <laughs> no, you know what? It, 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 I, I do, I think it is, um, I, I think risk taking to an extent is, is part of my, my makeup. And so in 2014, a colleague of mine, Rhonda Gingrich, who she's, you know, one of those people where you sit down and you talk education and I want to pull a notepad out because everything mm. she has to say, I want to kind of write it down. And we had worked together, but, you know, we hadn't, like, kind of had much as far as conversation goes. But we both found ourselves at the first TEDx in uh, TEDx Kitchener Ed in, in, in Kitchener, obviously, in 2014. And it was a very small event. It was two hours. It was like five bucks to get in. Um, but we were just blown away by the experience. And we had actually talked about doing a similar event for our own school board uh, through Upper okay. Grand. And, and then, you know, um, some labor challenges happened and we couldn't get that off the ground. And it was Jen Apgar, who has been a guest on your podcast before, who tweeted mm -hmm. out, wow, TEDx2016 are looking for speakers. I think I'm going to apply. And I thought, okay, <laughs> me, me too. And just thought about what am I passionate about in education? And, and it really is. And, and you know, I, I have to credit at least recently, you know, people like George Kuros and then, you know, another TED talk with Rita Pearson around the importance of relationships in education and how critical that relationship is, especially now when technology has, you know, almost makes us kind of, you know, screen based people. And I was also thinking about the speed at which the world moves at versus the speed at which education works at. <laughs> so I set up, I put a proposal and um, to Andrew and I'm going to mess up this. I think it's Borowski, but if I mispronounce it, then my apologies. Who's a wonderful teacher in for the Waterloo district school board um, he, who has organized these, these podcasts. So I sent my proposal in and I was accepted and I was like, <laughs> and you're like, Oh crap. Oh, I actually crap. have to do it now. <laughs> now I have to do it. <laughs> um, so I worked my way through and you, you know, you get, when you're doing a TEDx talk, you get a ton of support. You've always got, you know, a mentor that you can talk back and forth with, but it's very different from a presentation. And I've done presentations before I've done presentations for OPC. I've done them, you know, I've done them locally. I've done them, you know, internationally. I, I've, I've done that and I'm comfortable in that area, but this, this, this was really different. <laughs> Um, you know, because you're writing out a script, and I think, to be honest with you, I think my my final TED talk was probably so far from the original mm. proposal. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, I look. So you want to talk about you know jumping the week yeah. before 
we had a tech <laughs> rehearsal. And you can talk to Andrew, the organizer, who will confirm this. Halfway through my TED Talk, I froze. Oh, now, no. I almost had to pull my car over on the way into Kitchener to throw up. I was that <laughs> nervous. And I froze. I, I, For the first time in my life, I had a panic attack. I couldn't finish the talk. He was wow. very gracious. They, all were, they were like, you know what? Please don't worry. You know, we're just here to kind of get sound. And I went back and thought, well, what can I do to support myself? Because, man, you got to do this in a week. And I had colleagues that had bought tickets, and my wife and my oh, son were coming. <gasps> How so did I, you overcome that? I I don't know what I would have done. I um, I basically rewrote the talk, and then I went back to kind of thinking about, well, what do I do to support myself when I'm I'm presenting in another avenue? And I often use slides, not as um, a tool for the people who are watching, but as a tool for myself to kind of keep me you know, on, on track. And I thought I'm going to readjust sort of what I'm doing from a presentation perspective. And I'm going to put slides together that support me as opposed to mm -hmm. that support my talk. And that made all the difference in the world. It look, the, I, I watched the TEDx talk and it's, it's certainly not perfect. I'm very proud of it as a first time TEDxer. I, I think it's, you know, it, it's a decent talk. I've always said it would be so nice to have a million people watch it. And at this particular point in time, I'm actually 999,000 people away from that goal. Wow. I'm going to let that sit for a little bit. Yeah. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to help you in your goal. <laughs> We're going to share it out. We're going to link it in this podcast in the show notes. But, but it was, it, it, <laughs> I know I, I had a staff member and I won't, because I haven't talked to this person beforehand, so I won't kind of put their name out there. We often talk about the importance of, you know, um, trying to establish a culture inside of a school where it's okay to take risks. And I thought this was my one opportunity to kind of walk the talk. So, so did you if, share this TED talk like with your staff or with student, you know, to like show them like, look, hey, it's not that bad. No. I, I, so I shared the link and, and you know, and, and maybe it's one of those things. I don't know if you've heard the expression where, you know, you can't be a prophet in your own land. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's one of those things. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a little bit of, you know, you don't want to come across as 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 feeling. Um, you know, like you're almost promoting yourself. Right. So I, I never actually showed, I've never showed the TED Talk formally to anyone. I've shared the link. I certainly sent it out to my staff. I sent it out to, you know, my peers in my system and said, you know, if you're interested, um, you know. <laughs> I just did this really cool thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it was such a fabulous experience. Um, and then I've since gone back, like they had the TED Talk again in 2017 and I went back as, a, um, as an observer and will continue kind of supporting the TEDx Kitchener Ed brand because it'll be the closest one to me. But it, it is such, you know, and, and I've met like, you know, I met people like Andrew Campbell, who I kind of, you know, I knew online, Jonathan So. Um, oh, Jonathan uh, is awesome, right? Oh, I love him. His keynote at the end of the Ontario Summit just almost brought people to tears. Like yeah. at the end of a two uh, of a two day summit, you know, everyone just like, feeling so great and then he came in with the most heartfelt keynote okay. and it, it was really I just I was so excited to meet him in person I felt like I was fangirling over meeting him <laughs> like no and, and and it's so funny how this sort of you know um this online PLN that is I think it's slow to develop an education but I think people who em embrace it and, and who connect to it it, there is a kind of fandom to it. You, yes. you meet these people where you're like, you know, oh, oh my goodness. And and sometimes from my own perspective, and especially in the position and the role that I'm in, people are surprised that I'm learning from them because they, they're kind of thinking, oh, wait a minute, I'm a classroom teacher. You're like, why? Like, what do you mean you're learning from me? And, and I, I wish we could kind of shake that, I, I you know, I don't want to say that old school, you know, um, hierarchy that mm -hmm. we really are all look I was a teacher for 11 years and I I I taught I think most of my my admin career had a teaching component to it inside the classroom and and I just I learned so much like Jonathan is that's a great example um you know Matthew Oldridge would be another one another great example of somebody who's pushing the envelope in, in, in mm. math teaching um Andrew Campbell if you don't haven't listened to his talk um he he brought he talked about um the importance of connecting to a student that 
he ended up losing, who ended up passing away in his classroom. And, and it's such a, you know, it, it, wow. I, I think it's called something like the importance of why I meet students, why I greet students at the door every day. Yeah, that's what it's called. And you can go find it on uh, his on his Twitter account. Yeah, he has it in his bio. Wow. Like, yeah. So, and, and again, like just, you, you walk away from these events, you know, almost having to, you know, kind of stop and say, okay, I got to reflect on, you know, you know, what it is. Deb Donsky did another, you know, amazing talk. And these are all people that, you know, you get to connect with in, in different ways. Um, so like, and, and then to have been part of it, um, <laughs> is just, yeah, fantastic. Last fantastic. question about, yeah. um, you know, being a TEDx speaker, did you find, um, and I'm pulling from my own experience just as like an Ignite speaker, but I felt, especially once I was at the conference and meeting the other speakers, um, I felt as though without even knowing who any of them really were other than Kim Polishuk, um, we created such a bond and a community and a support system within one another. And that's something you know, previously, while I was worrying about giving this Ignite talk for a month, I never expected to feel so calm around them because I knew that they were feeling the same thing. And we kind of used that energy to like ignite us, you know. Um, and so I was just wondering if you also felt as supported with the other TEDx speakers that were there. Yeah, certainly with some. Um, I think, you know, with TEDx, especially on the day of you're, you're in some ways kind of, you're sort of isolated because you, you, you know, people sort of prep themselves in, in different ways, but there are definitely some people for sure that I, I met and connected with there that we sort of, you know, um, almost in a hands-off way supported each other through the process, but then have remained connected sort yeah. of all the way through. And they're, they're, they're people where, um, I would have no problems, you know, reaching out or responding if I was, you know, kind of reached out to in, in, in providing whatever kind of support or asking for whatever kind of support uh, would be available, probably more so than, um, look, and I have some great networks in my current system, but, you know, I think there are some people that I would ask who I've connected with in those ways that are outside of my system. I would ask them things that I, I probably wouldn't ask. For people that I, I actually work with, right? Yeah. So, yeah. If there's, there's um, Brenda Sherry and I, and if you haven't connected with, have you connected with Brenda Sherry on Twitter? Brenda Sherry. Okay. What do you know? What? No, I don't think so. What Brenda is Brenda Sherry? Would just be Brenda Sherry, and it's S H E R R Y. She would be at one of those. She'd be a list of people to follow on Twitter. I think at one point she might have been the most followed educator in Canada on Twitter. Whoa. Okay. I just got it. Yeah. At Brenda Sherry. Got it. Um, we were having, we've, we've presented before cause we both work for the same system and she's coming back to our system in September, which I'm really thrilled about. We presented about, um, cause I think sometimes people think, you know, and when I was talking in, in my Ted talk, the importance of relationships and connections, we seem to think that those have to happen face to face and they don't have to happen face to face. You can have some really deep connections with people that occur and you have never actually met them. Most of my connections are like that actually. <laughs> and would you find then, can I ask you a question? Yes. You've been in situations then where you've connected with people before you've connected online and then you meet them face to face. Does it not feel like you've just ran into a family member that you hadn't talked to in 10 years, but you can pick things up right off the bat? And the, the, the first person that comes to mind that I felt that way was Stephen Hurley. Do you know Stephen? Stephen and I worked together, actually. Well, not, sorry. So we were both with Dufferin Peel. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. So he would have been, I guess, an IT consultant. And I was teaching grade seven. And I did a pilot project for uh, Palm Pilots, you know, that first mobile piece of tech, and doing assessment practices using um, a mobile program called eTeacher back then. So yeah, I know mm -hmm. him. We've actually talked a couple of times. You want to talk again about jump. I keep thinking about, gee, you know, it'd be interesting to do a podcast. I would, that was just going to say. <laughs> well, I know. And, and so you laugh, but we've had this Zencaster conversation, Stephen and I, I think twice now, and it's totally me. Like it's, it's cold feet <laughs> at this end. It's, 
you know, it's fear of, of jumping from this end. But, you know, I want to thank you because, you know, and that's the one thing I'm, a lot of people have talked about, but I'll, I'll say so as well. Your, I think, like your mindset is what is going to support and move education forward hmm. in 2018. That idea of being transparent in your practice, you know, being willing to take risks. I'm, I, I can't speak for you, but you give the impression that you're not concerned if, you know, things go well or they don't go well. It's like, Absolutely. all right, <laughs> I can learn from my successes, but I can learn from my failures as well. Um, you know, that. Yeah. That, and I think. Don't stop doing that. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think no. I could stop. I'd go crazy. You're probably right. Well, yeah. You, you, you put enough people around you now that wouldn't let you stop. So. Exactly. And I was just going to say, like, I wouldn't be doing this podcast or I wouldn't be as open and transparent in podcasts and blogging if it weren't for like all the incredible like mentors that I have. And it's really, honestly, it's so thanks to Steven and the, the, the community with voice ed radio that he has created that has allowed me as a teacher candidate, not even like, you know, a certified educator, like an actual teacher, just a right now, like, well, I am, I, I'm actually a certified teacher now, which is really exciting, but Yay, you know, applause you <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Insert applause here. Um, yep. but you know, as a teacher candidate, when I was in my first year, thanks to him and the community that he built, um, from the ground up really allowed me to connect with tons of different educators who inspired me to do all of these crazy things. And I can't even start naming them because I know I will miss out on a lot, but they know who they are. And I'm really happy because I feel like as though I get to add you into my PLN now and that we are connecting and it's just, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. And I, I just love encouraging and mentoring my colleagues and other teacher candidates to jump on Twitter and to start seeing how this, you know, how networking and, and building your PLN can be so um, beneficial to like your practice and, you know, just like making connections. Like it's, it's really rich and it, it's super scary at first. And, and I really, I get it, but allowing my colleagues or even teachers who you know haven't jumped on the twitter bandwagon yet in edu helping them do that is something that i really really enjoy so yeah and it twitter seems to have become um it, it's almost moved away look i know that there's a lot of you know we'll call it social banter or you know you know even garbage and my apologies for you know like a judgmental word because mm -hmm. what's garbage for some is not for others but you know there there seems to be less or i'm encountering less kind of frivolous or what i would call frivolous content and there seems to be a richness to the content of twitter in education yes that hasn't necessarily <laughs> caught on in other social on, on other social media platforms maybe facebook to an extent because i know that there are some open and some closed groups you know i think of the ontario french teachers network i think of and, and you know, the, the french teachers network but i'm sure there's you know there's the career and interviews network in ontario there's places where teachers go to kind of gather together for questions and feedback but right that, sort of live you know um that live approach that Twitter has, it's not mimicked anywhere. And and I've been quiet, like my kind of the almost, you know, pseudo political nature of my role the last couple of years, I've been much quieter on Twitter since I took this role on. Look out come September, 2018. Yay. Well, that's so it, exciting. It, it, it's for, more for my own. Cause mm -hmm. it's again, you know, you want to talk about, you know, and to steal other people's words, but you know, to take the stone walls of a school and turn them into glass. If I want people to see the practice that's going on, inside my building and more for me kind of a goal moving forward what does my own practice look like what does my own learning look like you know it's it's going to be on my twitter feed i'm hoping to kind of reignite my blog with that as well because yeah so it for people who are listening who don't follow you how can they go connect with you on twitter uh it's just i think it's just leblanc peter you know what? Yeah, I think it's LeBlanc, L-E-B-L-A-N-C, Peter, P-E-T-E-R. But I think if they Googled Peter J. LeBlanc principal, it would probably show up. Perfect. A couple of, yeah. Awesome. It's funny, right? My own <laughs> Twitter handle is like, how do you connect? I don't know. I've been there since like 2012. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just my Twitter handle. I changed mine and I was giving out the wrong one for a little bit. I was like, oh dear, that's not cool. 
Well, and and I did. I didn't change yet. It's LeBlanc Peter. I, I had to go and check. I <laughs> actually changed the name and used my middle initial because I discovered there is actually another principal working out of, um, I think it's uh, Pennsylvania, whose name is Peter LeBlanc. And I was like, wow, oh, okay. Have you ever connected with him? No. I, it, did, did I connect with him? Yes. I think I sent him a Twitter message <laughs> a while back and I never heard back. And I thought, you know, eh, that's a cool. pretty pretty common Lebanon is a pretty common name and yeah. i would imagine Pierre Lebanon, peter Lebanon is probably you know it's almost like the most french common french canadian first name with <laughs> one of the most common french canadian last names and probably like the french version of you know a john smith or okay. <laughs> i've else. never actually thought about that but i do know a couple of Leblans, so you're totally right hmm. um i want to jump into your role with you know fsl um french as a second language Puis on peut parler en français, on peut parler en anglais, whatever comes out parle, naturally. On peut aller entre les deux. Entre les deux, oui. Yeah. Um, mais ma première question, puis quelque chose qui, you know, that kind of came to mind was, pour toi, quelqu'un um, qui est complètement bilingue, francophone, what does FSL mean to you? But what do you think... Dans, ton, dans ta région, je sais que tu viens du sud, puis il y a beaucoup de... Tu sais, la francophonie est quand même vivante, mais pas peut-être aussi vivante qu'elle est, tu sais, à Ottawa, disons. Donc, what does French mean to your student? So, part one, what does French mean to you, and what does French mean to the students that you get to teach? OK. Bon, mm. euh, pour moi, la francophonie, c'est drôle, parce que je suis francophone d'origine. Le français, c'est ma, ma, ma langue d'origine, mm -hmm. mais je suis né à Toronto. Alors, ça fait mon vécu, mon vécu pour 52 ans. C'est dans la région de Toronto. Euh, je suis d'origine acadienne. Mes parents ne parlaient pas l'anglais quand ils ont déménagé ici. Alors, ça a pris comme de l'effort pour garder la francophonie dans notre mm -hmm. vécu, mais j'ai fait... La minute que les écoles francophones ont ouvert à Mississauga, puis la première, je crois, c'était en 1980, euh, 1971, 72, mes parents m'ont embauché à René puis j'ai fait toutes mes études élémentaires et secondaires en français. Mm -hmm. euh, j'ai fait ma première année d'université, juste avant que j'ai commencé à être un chauffeur de taxi. J'ai fait <rire> un an à Glendon College okay. euh, en français. Puis là, j'ai arrêté l'école. Mais, mais moi, je trouve que la francophonie, c'est l'éducation, ça fait une grande partie, mais c'est la communauté elle-même. Alors, je pense aux au groupes comme euh, le Cercle d'Amitié qui existe dans la région de Peel, qui est juste au sud. Euh, il y a une, euh, un réseau à Guelph, un réseau de la francophonie à Guelph. C'est un, un réseau qui est ouvert aux personnes qui sont francophones et qui sont francophiles. Alors, si on, on, on veut faire une connexion... Euh, pour, à, un vécu france, euh, à un vécu français, on, on a des groupes qui sont à l'extérieur de l'école à laquelle on peut joindre. Ça, c'est important. Yeah. It, it, so, it, it's, it's not only learning French, it's living French. Yeah. So, for me, you know, and, I, and, and, you know, I switch back and forth to English and I actually see that as a luxury. I think my tagline in my email at work is something like, you know, cherish le, le moment when you can think on deux langues at the same moment, like something ah, like that. Yes. Right? And, and I just think, you know, I would, so what I would love to see would be a school system that fostered, and I'm talking about my experience in an English language school system, because I'm, I'm hoping that in French language school systems, that the language itself is actually embedded in what happens. And then, you know, the hard work is trying to get, at those community connections. But in an English system, I would love to have us be at a point where our students can kind of flip back and forth between those two languages upon graduation. And as much as I think that is a big role to, to kind of take mm -hmm. on, I think we can do it. So I've only seen that in one school ever. Et c'était l'école de Derek Roadnizer. Ben, c'est pas son école, mais il travaille là, um, à Westboro Academy. Une école qui se présente. L'école est bilingue. Et moi, j'adore ça. À cause que les, les élèves peuvent 
tu sais, parler en français, parler en anglais, puis on n'a pas des enseignants qui disent, OK, ben aujourd'hui, on est, c'est la période de français, on parle seulement en français. Après, quand la cloche sonne, on peut parler en anglais, mais, tu sais, ici, dans ce 45 minutes, on parle en français. Les élèves peuvent apprendre dans les deux langues, communiquer dans les deux langues, whatever comes out first, you know, that's what they use, and j'adore la richesse que l'école It, they label themselves as bilingue. C'est pas une école francophone with a really good English program. C'est pas une école anglophone with a really good French program, right? And that's something that, en tant qu'enseignante, it's funny because I want to work in French Catholic schools, but my teachable is English. So I would be the English teacher. And in class, I would speak English with my students, rightfully so. Et une fois que je rentre dans les corridors, ça se passe en français. Even though I'm the English teacher. And that can be really confusing for students sometimes. C'est drôle parce que, and, 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 and not, again, not to, um, not, not certainly never to question, you know, direction, but because I always think, you know, and I, I would remember talking to my, you know, to staff who I'd work with and, you know, in school. So both, you know, and For those who would be listening to the podcast, who would be outside of Ontario, you know, we've got kind of three sort of programs of French, right? We've got core French that every student has to have from four to nine. We've got extended and we've got French immersion. Um, but I've worked in, as a, a principal, I've worked in French immersion and, and dual track. So with core French, and I'd always talk to staff and say, you know, I hope what we think of, and I put myself in there, sort of as the guardians of the French language. So I would mm. think, why wouldn't kids hear you speak French outside of the classroom. So I, I guess I, I kind of think this same thing, although I, I understand as a member of the Francophone community, you know, we want to safeguard, you know, that that French language because it, it is a minority language. You know, it is bombarded with English from, you know, all mm -hmm. directions. So yeah. I, I kind of get that. Yeah. Um, but, but then, you know, I don't know. Like I, I always think, and my own students and the, core French students in particular, you know, if I talk to them in French, you, you'd often get pushback. Well, I'm not in French class. It's like, French is my <laughs> life. It's not, I'm not a language I'm learning in school. I actually live this language. Like, you know, where'd you think my last name came from? You know, and they go, oh yeah, right, okay. So then, okay, so c'est ma prochaine question. How do you Sorry, get... Did I answer to je sais pas parce que j'oublie c'est quoi ma première question, mais... Was, la... I think c'est la francophonie pour moi. Je pense que... Parce que je pense que ce qui est le plus difficile avec, en tant qu'enseignante, um, puis surtout j'imagine en tant qu'enseignant ou enseignante de FSL, is to get the students to actually Um, identify as, you know, en tant que francophone ou francophile or whatever, um, and actually own the French and want to, just like you were explaining, and you're the perfect example, it, you want to live in French, you want to embody French and embrace it and all of that things. Like, I think my question is almost, how do you get the students to, to care? to care yeah. and it be more than just the French class, right? And I don't think it's students necessarily that is our, so I would probably answer that by saying, I think the problem is bigger than that. Okay. I think the problem is more, how do you get society in general or maybe mm -hmm. parents of students in English school programs that are not looking to choose a program like extended French or French immersion buy into the value of French. Yeah. Um, I think that's the bigger question. And I think as school boards and perhaps as the ministry of education in Ontario, I wonder if we need a greater focus on, and I say the word selling and, you know, I, I don't mean selling, but on convincing people, you know, we've got French is the official language in almost 30 countries in the world. There are, about 280 million people on the planet who speak it, 75 million people of them speak it from a native perspective. In Canada, we've got six, six and a half, seven million out of 33, 34 that speak French as well. And 
in Ontario in particular, we have an infrastructure already in place to learn this language. I get that there are probably languages that are more popular or more spoken, or if we want to talk about, you know, emerging economies might even be more economically beneficial to learn. But Mm -hmm. we don't have an infrastructure in place at this point for students to learn Hindi or to learn Mandarin Chinese. Like we don't have those infrastructures in place, but we have an infrastructure in place to teach kids FSL. We, we actually have a mandated program that kids need to get from grade four to eight, 200 minutes a week. We right. have two optional programs that, you know, boards can offer and all but three of them in Ontario do um, for rich French instruction. And, and I think if we were really serious and, you know, this is where I might get myself into some hot water and I'm prepared to do that, if we were really serious about French instruction, we would start to think about, you know, well, how are we structuring that? We, if we think about that in Ontario, we think, well, we have, a, we have a French language system, and that I fully get, and I'm not for a minute questioning, you know, why we would have minority rights in a province. That's, that's, that's not where I'm coming from. But in an English program, we have a mandatory core French program, and then we have two optional programs. I don't know. Like, we've, <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? Like, we, we, have, yeah. a, we have staff, we have infrastructure, we have the possibility of increasing the amount of minutes that we give every single child in French. In a, like, we could give more to everyone, but it likely would mean in our current situation with labor the way it is, you know, and the ministry is moving in the direction to try and attract more uh, teachers with French qualifications to Ontario. But, but we, couldn't, we couldn't enrich the French experience without diminishing the French experience for those that are in an optional program like French Immersion, for example, where their kid is getting 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, even 100% of French in a day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, without reducing that. So I don't know. I, I, I think I think if if we if we talk about the importance to get back to your original question, if we convince people that there is actual value in learning French, because one, the language itself is valuable to learn, but two, it's a vehicle to learn other languages, like another yes. top ten language. Spanish would be the first one that comes to mind. You know, You've got French and Spanish, and you can communicate with over a half billion people on this planet. Absolutely. And it's more than just because this is like classic, and I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, but it's more than just to learn French to get a job, you know, out of college or university, right? It's it's to change the way you think about things. Yes, because you can't convince a grade two that this is going to be important at some part, you know, in the future because they're going to get a good job. Like I've heard that so much. Well, and how many times have you found yourself with two and and do you speak any languages other than French or English? No, like I've no. T- I've I took a couple Spanish classes which, you know, when you said it's it's a great vehicle to to learn Spanish like yes, absolutely, but um and you know the reason why I don't speak Spanish anymore is because I am not immersed in it enough or, or didn't, you know, take a big enough role in immersing myself or listening, you know, to videos and music and different things like that. And I think, and you touched on that already, especially when um, speaking about connecting classrooms to communities and learning that, or and just realizing, uh, being aware that French is alive and existing outside of the classroom. And, you know, look, and it's almost fun. I think about, um, sorry, I'm going on tangents here, but I think about when students get to speak to um, like the elderly and they speak in French and how rich and different, you know, the French is. And you get to hear all these different dialects and regionalisms. And it's really, I think it's so fun. And that can make learning French fun. Agreed. Right. And, 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 so those are personal connections that people can make. And then I think of, you know, and, and we start talking about the idea of, of technology and tech embedded learning. Ugh, and yes. why, why is it that students would work in isolation in their classroom when there would be models of French language culture and experience and usage everywhere on the planet, probably findable in every single time zone that you're in. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like we as schools could easily be reaching out to you know francophone or francophile communities everywhere globally, globally. And, and we, 
you could show the richness of French, not only as a language, you know, but as a culture. Mm-hmm. You know. It's more than just, and puis ça c'est quelque chose, même si on a des élèves, et moi j'en étais une, des élèves dans une école francophone, purement francophone, le seul, le seul cours en anglais, c'était le cours d'English. Wait, moi aussi. Oui, donc, même si on avait, quote-unquote, ces valeurs du français, I, I found it as though it was like we were only really celebrating our French language on September 25th, la journée de la francophonie, with a parade and some, like, green and white, you know, makeup, and that was it. And well, that's and, something. And, and for me, there was that day, and then y avait le 15 août, because you know, étant acadien, woo. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> it was the same thing, right? It was, you know, if we found ourselves going back to the East Coast with my extended family, you know, we were at the Tintamar. If not, you know, we were listening to some 1755. We were, you know, throwing mm-hmm. on like. But you're right. The celebration of it seemed to to wane at any other time during the year. Sorry, I cut you off there, Sarah. That, oh no, no, it's all good. I think I, like. I think I know the answer already to the next question that I was uh, going to ask you. And if it's redundant, just let me know. But I want to know if ever, um, disons que moi, je pognerai un poste en, en FSL dans les prochaines années, quelles sont peut-être une à deux stratégies quand on enseigne français Qui, qui fonctionne bien avec les élèves. I know we talked about like immersing them, but do you have any like really cool activities or strategies or, or things that you've seen that worked really well? Yeah. I, so, and, and I would probably go back to, you know, some of the work that I would have seen or some of the work that would have been done through like Denis Cousineau, for example, who's from your area, who's done so much work with the CFR and, you know, kind of readjusting what French language looks like. So it, it, it's when I, I think, and this is, you know, and I, I say it like it's like very easy to do, but I think a classroom that allows students to experience speaking French, struggling in French, listening in French, um, conversing and, you know, exploring, uh, debating, questioning each other in French, writing in French, where a classroom is, you know, we talk about a responsive classroom, but to have a language responsive classroom where different spaces permitted students to use the language and to play with the language and to experience the language in different ways, I think one would increase student, I'll say engagement, but I think as they start to become more comfortable with the language, starts to empower their own learning so they start to make selections around what it is that they want to do and how it is that they want to learn. I would also think that asking students what, so what does language learning look like for you? Uh, giving them a chance to reflect on their own learning, what went well, what didn't go well, using technology to have them almost record themselves and listen back. Hmm. I think all of those kinds of things help a student sort of anchor their knowledge in second language. And, and you know, uh, we are doing some amazing things around that in Ontario. Like, I, I think, especially in the role that I've been in, you know, getting able to see some of the stuff that's going on, you know, a little bit across the province. Because like I said before, my job is actually very little kind of program related. But there are some massive changes around how we go about um teaching French and then you know because of that I think I think learning French so I think that mm-hmm. that change is coming so so again to kind of answer your question I think I think a classroom space that gives kids an opportunity to you know for lack of a better word explore but you know kind of looking at you know the idea to be able to listen the, the uh, to be able to speak to be able to write to be able to read uh, to be able to communicate to be able to question so that they can kind of see those things inside of a room I think would be would go a long way to be able to help them feel comfortable learning the language. And then I think the other thing would be for teachers to remember that they should, and I think it's almost, you know, I'd say it's adamant to reach out to other people, to find yourself in a sphere where people are doing things, you know, well or differently um, and ask questions, you know, I don't know. There's a ton of expertise out there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, we, we, we make, and again, I would, you know, I would quote George Kuros. You familiar? I'm, I'm going to assume you're familiar yeah. with George Kuros. <laughs> okay. If not, we'll put that at the top of, you know, of, of the summer list reading there. list. Yeah. Well, Innovator's Mindset, I already have a copy set aside for my new vice principal when we meet for the first time. You know, I'm going to, he's going to be, well, what's the first thing I need to do? Well, you're going to need to read this. Um, and then we'll talk. Um, <laughs> but, but that idea of, you know, of, of student voice and, and student choice and, and, and making sure that we get to reflect on our own learning. I mean, those are all critical, critical pieces. So, I love it. I really yeah. do. That, that was really nicely said. I like, and I, I almost want to like use that somehow, but all, all the verbs that you use, like struggling, conversing, listening, speaking, reading, questioning, I'm going to have to go and, and re-listen to the list that you, that you gave me there. But um, I was just reflecting because starting in July, I'm going to be running a, a French summer camp where um, students who are mostly Anglophone will be and who go to French school are just coming to camp to, you know, make sure that they speak some French during the summer and don't go a couple months without it and then start back in September and forget everything. So um, I'm reflecting on the different strategies and, and ways in which I can um, have them have fun and learn in French at the same time, right? Because I think that when you are immersed and you're having fun in it and you, you're learning and you don't even know, and that's like the best part. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I think learning a language is a lot about using the language. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think about how comfortable we become using our, our own first language and where we go about doing that. So, you know, if we think about what the structures are in place that facilitate conversation, they're often not large group. You know, what happens when you put a large group? So I take a classroom, you take 20, 25, 30, 35 people, put them, put adults and put them in the same space. They automatically break into smaller groups. Yeah. Conversations don't happen at that <laughs> level. Um, um, you know, yet, and, and, you know, more intimate conversation happens, you know, cafe style around a dining room table, sitting around, you know, in, in a chair, you know, or a series of chairs. Yes. Why on earth would we look at structuring a language classroom that way? Oh, I like that. Facilitate the exchange of language. Can you imagine if there was a little, you know, cat corner cafe sitting in your French class oh. where, you know, kids would be able to practice particular themes? You're like, all right, this is, you know, this is kind of what we're going to do. This is our practical aspect of the next couple of days. Need to practice talking with a partner? Let me go sit over there in the cafe. If I go, if I, you know, come down to your board, can you promise me that I can have a cafe in my classroom? Like, that's just, you that's all it. I ask. Yep. Like, yep. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> yep. I mean, it, then, you know, I put my, my principal hat on and I don't want anybody listening to think that that necessarily means a hurdle. <laughs> it just means that, you know, I couldn't jump out to the nearest store, buy something and bring it in. I'd have a couple of channels I'd have to go around. So it might mean that it doesn't happen within 30 minutes, but it would happen pretty quickly. I, I just think, you know, <laughs> and, and then I would ask kids, like, we forget too that communication, they, they're excellent communicators they just don't do it the same way we do yeah our kids are communicating all the time do you, you know, so um do you know carol salva sorry we're talking about learning language and carol salva is just like the expert in this do you know her at all from texas only of the work and i think she does work though in second language learning but not in french correct is correct yeah she works with all different languages and yeah. teaching them english um, so yes, familiar with the name, but not a lot of the work. So there's an area of learning that I, I need. So I'm going to write that, say the name again. Uh, her name is Carol Salva. Salva, okay. Yeah. And on Twitter, I think it is MS, MS and then Salva C. Okay. So shout out to Carol. I got to meet her in real life human form when I went down to Orlando in, um, in May at the West Orlando Ed Camp and like talk about fangirl. Like Carol is my EDU hero. She is amazing. She has a pod podcast as well. Um, it's called the Boosting Achievement Podcast with Voice Ed Radio. She has a book. You can go to her website and read all of her um, strategies on uh, acquiring a, a second language. Or it's not even a second language because for some of the students that she is teaching, it's like the fourth or fifth language, which is like totally crazy. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's, and we forget that too, right? We uh -huh. think second language, but it's, for a lot of kids, it's actually, it's not even close. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, let's right, transition. Following her now on Twitter. Woohoo. There you go, Carol. You're welcome. <laughs> um, all right. We are at 
44 minutes, but I'm not going to end this podcast without asking you just like a couple questions about what yeah. it's like being a principal, because even though I am like just coming out of teacher's college, I think that one of my long-term goals is going into admin and and learning what all the these leadership roles are about and um I'm really excited to to hear that you are, you know, going back into um your principal role at the school that you started at. I think that's really cool. So, what does it mean for you to be to take on leadership and to kind of be the leader of your school community? Okay, because yeah, I heard you say that in an earlier podcast that you were thinking about principalship. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you asked the question. And I'm also glad that you used the word, what's it like to kind of sort of be the leader inside? Because <laughs> I was thinking, I, I, I was going through. <laughs> that's exactly, because I, I think, and, and so I want to preface this by saying, you know, I am not a leadership guru. And you asked me about this from my own personal perspective, uh -huh. and that's how I'm going to, because I think that's, that's critical. There are times when there's no question you're the leader of the building. And there are times when, you know, there are decisions that you need to make that have to be made from that lens. But I also think that there are more times where your leadership gets to be disseminated, or at least you get to attempt to disseminate your leadership throughout the building and work at trying to foster leadership in other people that are there. Yeah. Because I think if you went into the principalship and thought, huh, I'm going to come in, I'm the boss, I'm leading the building, it, it like, like the classroom, there is never, ever ever a shortage of things to do mm -hmm. and they are impossible to do unless you kind of build a culture that says you know we're going to do this together i think it's important to know what's important um i would always tell and, and will tell staff and if there's staff that you know um are you know going to listen to this who you know i'll be working with come september i will always tell them that my first and most important lens to make a decision through is what is in the best interest of the kids we serve. And that concept of serving kids, you know, I think is important. It, I, I think as a leader, one of the hardest things that you can do is to remind yourself that in the end, our job is one of service mm -hmm. and it is one of service to students. It's not that it's not to diminish the role of anybody else, because I think by serving other people that work inside of the capacity of a school, we ultimately have the same goal. But it is. It is to serve. Students. Can I ask you, what does it mean to service kids? And I know this is this is like a Derek Rodenizer question, because if you listen to his podcast, Beyond the Staff Room, he's very philosophical. And I've kind yeah. of like it's kind of uh, like not tainted me but I've kind of sometimes taken that approach and you know we I I just love the idea of servicing kids but I I can't grasp it what what does it mean to you okay so I, I guess to me it means um you know is always asking myself the question and trying to answer it recognizing that there are going to be times when my actions are not going to be able to, to answer the question is the action that's happening in the best interest of the students inside the building it, it, it for the learning of the students inside the building and that brings you know another kind of philosophical question is you know what does learning mean right <laughs> some people would say oh well you know it's it's about learning a particular subject area oh, it's about learning a particular skill or concept you know i always think the idea of serve and then you know to go hand in hand with that is support mm. i think our job is to serve and support the students that are in front of us for some kids that's going to look very different than for other kids goes right back to the whole purpose, you know, um, of my own TED talk is the importance of being somebody who makes, you know, education relevant to a student, but who primarily builds the relationship with them, right? We, if we're a profession, then as a profession, we have a basis of knowledge. We're a disciplined group of individuals. We have particular standards we abide by, and we have knowledge that other people don't have. And that knowledge is pedagogical in nature. But the, kid, the people that are in front of us, the people that we work with, these are the people we have to make relationships with. So we have to recognize the importance, the primacy of the relationship that we build. I think that's, and, and maybe can I, I'll give you a practical example because okay. I kind of went up on a heady there. No, I love it. I'm I love practical. We're going to go over time and, and you can, you blame Stephen. <laughs> you can tell him, it's, or don't blame Stephen. Tell Stephen it's my fault. Okay. 
So from a practical perspective, as a principal, and I would be happy to put it out there that you could ask any single person I have ever worked with, any parent, any student in the four schools that I've either been a principal at or a vice principal at, I would work hard to know the name of every mm. single kid in the building, every kid. Um, and, and, and I think, and I know it's like, okay, well, big deal. It sounds like you've got a great memory. And I have an awful memory. I wanted to work hard at doing that because I think when the principal, when the person that the kids see as in charge of the building knows who they are and can ask them and say, you know, Hey, um, you know, I hear it was your, you know, it was your weekend at mom's this weekend. How did, how did things go? Uh, you know what? You got this massive soccer tournament going on. How did you guys do? You know, uh, yeah. you know, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so is telling me that, you know, you were just working on a project on this or that, you know, while wow, you're really trying to design your own website, how is that going? When you can do that, I, I, that to me, I don't know, that, that, that is, it, it highlights the importance of connection. I was like that as a teacher. I probably have 20 or 25 of my own students who I taught 20, 25 years ago, who are friends of mine on Facebook. One, can I do a little shout out for a business that one of my ex-students is, is starting up? Please do. Started up. Yeah. So, um, escape rooms, you're familiar with the concept of escape room. Absolutely. So, my, my wife and I and some friends are going to escape room Barry tomorrow night. And it's actually run by an ex student of mine and her husband. I taught her, I don't know when, but it was the late nineties in grade seven. So she'd be in her thirties. She has a young child and I'm absolutely <laughs> ecstatic about going to reconnect because we've been friends on Facebook for a while. Um, and I love learning still about what's going on in their lives and, and I, I think that's important. I, I think as educators, we have to always remind ourselves that it's kids that are in front of us. As principals, even more so, because sometimes we're one level disconnected from the kids in our building. Like We have to work really, really hard at making sure that they know that they're important and that they that's how we serve them, that they know that they are, when they come there, you know, they're the most important thing in front of us. Yeah. And what's amazing, like you're saying this, and right now one of my LTOs is in an elementary school where the principal is exactly like that. And I love her. I She is like one of my idols and like role models. And, you know, when I, when I think about what I would like to be like when I become a principal one day, maybe possibly, who knows, I would love to be like her because she exactly like knowing names, connecting, just like, I, and you know what, because of that, and I think that this is just like a, a small portion, but because of that, when you walk into that school, people are smiling. You can feel kind of, of like the good vibes. Like it's just a really nice space. Yeah. 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 And, and then the hard part becomes, sorry, no, no, go, 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 go. <laughs> no, I was just going to say the hard part becomes the second part, right? Because then it becomes the idea of the profession. So as we start to build relationships and I, you know, I talk about them being kid focused, but you know, they're focused on everybody inside the building. Then we have to remind ourselves that we actually have an important job to do. So then it's really, how do we make sure again, with that kid lens that we make the learning relevant to the, to them, not to our lives, not to the world that we came from, not to the world that we live in, but the world that they live in and the world is going to live in. Mm -hmm. And how do we use what we should always be a solid professional and pedagogical knowledge to be able to achieve that we should be the experts in pedagogy right like we, we have to stay on top of that 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 i think is a professional duty that we have mm -hmm. and you know the importance is blending all of those things i make don't i make it sound easy right i was just gonna say yeah, yeah. i <laughs> yeah, no. being a principal can be the best job in the world but i'm telling you at the end of some days like, like in any role, mm -hmm. you would question, you know, whether or not you were actually sane when you made right. the decision. <laughs> but I do, I do love it. And, and, you know, shout out to Montgomery Village Public School. If anybody ever listens, you know, or anybody is ever listening at some mm -hmm. point, I'm thrilled to be going back there in September because it's, it's an awesome spot and we're going to keep it being an awesome spot. Woohoo. Well, another one of your roles as, as principal, I would assume would be to hire on new staff, correct? Uh, like kind yes, of, sort of, sure. like kind of, sort of, some of it is done, you know, a little bit differently and that's like, would you uh, be you there know, in interviews kind of thing? Yeah. And, and particularly in my, in my current role, I would have been around the central table as we were doing, you know, some board specific interviews, but yeah, we're going to get to the point where we are now doing school level interviews for sure. Okay. Yeah. Cause 
one of my questions going into an interview very shortly um, to, you know, get hired as a hopefully full-time staff for September. I will be sitting in front of, you know, some members of HR of the school board and then principals. And I was just wondering for you as an administrator, what do you look for when you are hiring new teachers? And to all the teacher candidates who are listening to this, this could be really helpful information as we are kind of transitioning into interviews uh, this summer for some really important careers. I know. And I'm, I'm watching the minutes tick by and I'm thinking, you know, there's, there's no, I'm not good with short answers. Let me put it out there. It, what am I looking for? That's, I want to say that there's a level of intangibility there. I think what I I'm looking for is a genuine interest in kids. Mm. I think there's a particular amount of professional knowledge. So what I would say is, you know, I, I want to know that you've had teacher training and that you understand what good pedagogy looks like. You know, I, I want to know that you understand where current research is in, in math, for example. I, I want to know that you understand the idea of a blended language program. If you're teaching an FSL, right. I, I want to know that you understand, you know, because we've been talking around the CFR and we've been talking about, you know, um, levels of competency in French. We, we, I want to know that you know the curriculum, but the truth is I can get staff to help support you to increase that knowledge. Absolutely. I want to know that there's a level of resiliency there. I want to know that there's compassion and empathy for students. Um, I want to know that you, you know, you're, I guess, a heart centered educator and, and that, that I think puts the challenge on the candidates that are listening, because I think it's harder to kind of get that across. We as systems and as principals try and get questions that we think will foster some of those, Mm -hmm. those things. Um, But, I think that all things being equal, I think that ends up making the difference. It's the, it's those, um, I think Southwest Airlines at one point talked about those being brown short questions. I know that that sounds odd. but Brown short that, questions? Yeah, I, I think if you Google that, and I think it's Southwest Airline, um, it's, you know, around a concept of hiring for attitude. Like it, it really kind of you know, highlights the idea of, you know, will people be able to cooperate with others? You know, do they have a level yeah. of, yeah. Okay. Does that, that make that sense? Make- I don't want to use the word soft skill because it makes it sound like they're not important. I think they're critical. I'd call them critical skills. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Sorry, I'm just like, I'm a monster um, put up. It's when I Googled. Well, and I will put that out to you and I, I will say, you know, um, and, and to candidates as well, knowing that I might see a, barrage of questions but don't be afraid to reach out i think you know i I, and i actually am a member of i think it's the ontario careers interview facebook page and i actually go on there from time to time and will respond when people have not you know well gee here's a board and what questions are they asking but if somebody says you know what should be in my cover letter what should be on my resume you know what kinds of things can i do i try and respond because i think as as a leader i think i have a responsibility to foster the next kind of generation of leadership Mm -hmm. you can't do that if you're not working in education so i would say to people ask questions you know how to get a hold of me as well now you're going to put that link in absolutely ask away if i can't help you i'll tell you i can't help you but if you don't ask (laughs) you can't help we can't help, right? Wayne Gretzky says, "What you, you, you know, you miss all the goals or whatever." You miss a hundred percent of the shots the, you don't take. Shots you don't take. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for giving me the prompt. There we go. Um, okay, so to wrap this up, if just a reminder, if people it's been an hour, already. I know, I know. If people want to connect uh, with you and they missed, you know, the Twitter account on the first part of the podcast or is there any other ways that they can connect with you? Maybe they, they don't have Twitter. You can just kind of yes. plug all of those things in. Totally. So I would say Twitter is probably the easiest. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you're not on Twitter, then my suggestion would be, you know, if you've listened to Sarah's podcasts before and you want to jump, <laughs> that would be a great first jump to take. But Twitter for me is Leblanc, like L-E-B-L-A-N-C, Peter, P-E-T-E-R, all together, no underscore. Um, my, you can catch my blog, which I don't write very often, but I'm going to increase. And it's just peterjleblanc.com. Uh, there's links in there to be able to get a hold of me. Um, I'm trying to think how else. But the, the other way would be through, I've got a generic Gmail account, which is principal learning. So all one word at gmail.com. Fire me an email, identify yourself, tell me who you are. Like say, you know, I'm so-and-so, 
um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've just graduated from this. I'm looking for work here. Like the more open you are with your information, the more likely I am to respond, but happy to help. I think it's almost a moral obligation that we would have to be able to, and, and, and not everybody can, has to choose to do that. I am, I think, you know, I don't have a ton of years left in education and I want to make sure that for the betterment of society, we get the best people in education we can. And I think those are people who are inquisitive and reflective and, and, and want to do better. Wow. Well, Peter, it, it, it's, it's been, it's been a podcast. It's been a really, really awesome and interesting and rich episode. And I'm so excited that we were able to connect and, and share our conversation with others and, um, I, I thank you for your time and I thank you for, you know, spending your Saturday morning with me and, and, uh, and sharing your learning and, and all your really just like insightful things. Like you, you really got me thinking. And I think that, um, you'll get a lot of other people thinking as well. So I thank you so much. Thank you. And can I just, I want to make sure don't stop doing what you're <laughs> doing because you might not think so you're inspiring some of us as well. So you might not think that you're inspiring people who, you know, are either in leadership positions or have been in education for a while, but you absolutely mm, are. Thank you. So, you know, so you keep doing what you're doing and thank you for your kind words. I hope we can do this again. Yeah. Soon. You, me, and Jen Apgar. How about that? Oh, well, yes. But you'd have to talk to Stephen Hurley about, you know, allowing more than an hour. She said she likes to talk <laughs> and yeah, you know, not far behind. So I might be well, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe Stephen can like squeeze okay. us in some an extra couple minutes here and there. So that would be awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Kesara Sara. I look forward to continuing to learn from one another. So what did you think of this episode? Let me know by leaving me a comment in SoundCloud or sending me a tweet to at Sarah S A R I H Lalonde L A L O N D E E. And you can also subscribe to my podcast on iTunes under Kesara Sara. And hey, did you know that Kesara Sara is a proud member of the Voiced Radio Network? Check them out at voiced.ca.